Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. So we've been in a series called Beautiful Attitudes, and this is a play on words um, it's the Beatitudes. It's found in Matthew 4, 5, and 6, the greatest uh, sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher on the planet, and that is, of course, Jesus. Um, no other message can, can top what we find. Uh, there's no more important. If you're wondering what it is that Jesus would preach or what he would say today, I would encourage you to read Matthew 4, 5, and 6. And so, Beautiful attitudes is what we've called uh, what we've called this series, and I want you to know that your attitude it, it makes a difference, right? It makes a difference. Your attitude is going to determine how it is that you walk and go through life. Have you ever met somebody with a poor attitude or what we would call a bad attitude? Don't say any names and don't look across the sanctuary right now. It's like yeah, they're sitting right over, you know. But it's the truth, man. People, like, before you even, before your day starts, there are people that you know you're going to bump into at work that have a poor attitude and a poor outlook. And, you're, and, and honestly, if you're like me, um, you tend to avoid those people. Like, I will, I will not go certain places um, at certain times because it's like, listen, my day has just begun and I don't need what it is that this person is known to dish out. And so your attitude, it matters. And, and I want you to know this, that as you walk with Jesus, um, your attitude will begin to shift and change and it will be for the better. Somebody say, we need a beautiful attitude. Yeah. So today we're going to be taking a look specifically at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. It says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, we're going all the way through this. This is message four. If you've missed any of the previous three, you can go online and check those out and get a CD out in the, out in the lobby. Um, but blessed today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that they will be filled. The Greek word for the word filled is the word satisfied. And I'm just telling you this, that today's message is specifically for you that feel unsatisfied. You've tried everything that there is to try. You've kind of done it your way. You've pursued certain things that you thought would bring about satisfaction only to attain those things and find yourself still wanting and lacking and needing more. The same version out of the Living Bible, it says happy. The word happy or, or the word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means happy. And so this is actually translated more properly. Um, happy are those who long, to, who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. So I'm not talking about a satisfaction that, that is just kind of like, you know, it, it's good for the moment. It's good for, you know, every other moment. I'm talking about a satisfaction that leaves you completely satisfied. And in the New Century Version, just because I like it this way, it says those who want to do right more than anything else, they're happy. Why? Because God will fully satisfy them. So once again, if you're that person like me, you know, you've just sat down and you've eaten a, a, a three-course meal, and 30 minutes later, you find yourself stepping into the kitchen, opening up the pantry, and you're just, you're looking at the, at the, at the pantry and you're, you know, you're not satisfied right now. You're looking at the pantry and, and while everything seems to be okay, you know, nothing is just jumping out and saying, eat me. You've just had a three course meal. You, you know, you just filled up on some good things, but you're unsatisfied. And if you're there in life right now, spiritually or naturally, physically, you know, you've worked hard and you've done all of these things to attain 
where you are in life, but you're still like something is lacking, something is more, something is, 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 is still needed, I'm telling you this, that today's message is for you. You know, I, before I was saved, I used to listen to a lot of different kinds of music. We won't go into that right now. Um, but I will say that, that, that U2 was pretty popular back in the day in Bono. And um, I was going to title the message, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they, they, they wrote this song. And, and I was looking up the net worth of U2, and they are, they are worth $1.8 billion. $1.8 billion. And Bono himself is worth $700 million. And for you young people that, that think that once you, once you attain a certain amount of income, and for some of you older people that are still pursuing the same, you know, the same things, it's like, man, if I can just get that house, if I can purchase that truck, if I can make this much money in a year, I'm telling you this, that probably nobody in the building here today will probably attain the wealth of $1.8 billion in your life or Bono, you know, at 700 million, probably not going to happen. And these are the people that are singing songs that say, I still haven't found. I've climbed the highest mountain. I've, I've crossed the, you know, I've crossed the, the deepest seas and I still have not found what it is that I'm looking for. What people are looking for is satisfaction in life. They're, they're looking for satisfaction in and through earning a certain amount of money. People are looking for satisfaction in having the proper relationships. People are looking for satisfaction by attaining position or influence. And I'm just telling you this, that God is showing us in and through his word that you will not be satisfied by, by, by chasing after things that the world can offer. God is saying, listen, I am the one that has what it is that you're desiring. And I have the very things that will, that will satisfy. I'm telling you, you can't do a message like this without looking at the life of Solomon, King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son. King Solomon was tasked with the, uh, uh, you know, the, the duty to rebuild the temple. David had too much blood on his, land, on his hands. King Solomon was the wealthiest man in biblical times. God also said this about Solomon, that he was the wisest man in biblical times. Nobody was wiser. Nobody was more wealthy. Once again, you're thinking that, man, if this guy had all of the wisdom and all of the wealth, then he probably has never had a bad day in the entirety of his life. False he wrote a whole book, uh, Ecclesiastes, that is, that is just filled with bad news, bad news. It's the most depressing book of the whole Bible, in some people's opinion. I encourage you to read from the wisest man and the wealthiest man in biblical times what he had to say and the wisdom that he attained. He was so wise that the Queen of Sheba came and visited and actually admired his wealth and his wisdom. Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 1, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and, and, and give you broad strokes here, but, but in chapter 1, he's pursuing knowledge. And, and once again, I really encourage you to pursue knowledge. You should grow and you should educate yourself and and once again, just putting our hands together for these graduates that represent 12 years at a minimum, and then we've got some that have graduated college, they've gone on to higher uh, levels of learning, and they've graduated, that needs to be celebrated. Let's put our hands together one more time for them. But I am telling you this, that if you think that through your education that that is going to be the very thing that satisfies you, you are crazy wrong. The wisest man on the planet said this, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 18, for which with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more the grief. Have you ever heard that ignorance is bliss? You know, the more that you know, the more educated you become, the more the reality 
the, the sad things that happen and take place, the more, the more bankrupt we feel because we know that, wow, with so much knowledge and so much wisdom, we should be so much further than where it is that we are. I would venture to say that, that education is probably at one of its highs in the world that we live in today. And, and I would ask you, you know what I mean, with some of the decisions that are being made and, and how much money is being exchanged from one person to the next, we have more than what we, can, what we need, certainly, but we have more than, 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 than what it is that we can even use right now. Would you say that people are the happiest that they've been? I'm telling you right now, I have never known a time in my history where suicide has been at, at as high as it is right now. When, when there's so much abundance and so much overflow, people are coming to a place of realizing that, man, I thought this thing was going to satisfy and it just didn't, so I might as well. Like, like I leveraged my whole life to attain this, and then I, I, I attained this, and then it's not, what I, it's, not, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And so, man, oh man, this life, you know, it, it, I'm just going to end it. Chapter 2, he talks about careers and not really, but kind of careers and cars and vacations and living the goal-oriented life. Not really, but if you were to translate what he was talking about in chapter 2 to the things that are important to us today, you can make the connection. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 10 says this, I did not, this is the wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world. He said, I have denied myself nothing. Man, if I wanted it, I did it. And guess what? I had the money to do it, and, and I was the king. Who was going to tell me that I couldn't do it? I had the wealth, I had the money, I had the influence. And if somebody was going to stand up against me, I could just have them thrown in prison for the rest of their life. I could just have them, you know, have their head taken from their shoulders. If there was something that I desired, I did it. I chased after it. He said, I refused my heart no pleasure. I took delight in my labor, and this was my reward for my work. You know, some of us, we get that way. Man, I've worked hard. Worked hard for my money. So hard for it. Nobody's going to tell me how to, how to, come on, I worked hard for what I have. I deserve the good. Yet when I surveyed, when I looked, when I began to examine all my hands had done and what I had achieved, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And it continues in chapter 2 and verse 17. So I hated life. He was like, listen, I looked forward to Fridays and getting the weekends off, and I dreaded having to go back to work on Monday. Anybody ever been there? You hate what it is that you do. You dread Monday through Friday. Can I just tell you this? Life is too short. Why don't you get another job? Well, I, 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 I can't, I, you know, I'm not educated enough. Get the education. Well, I'm not trained enough. I don't have the understanding. You are brilliant. There's nothing that you can't accomplish with the Lord. Don't spend the rest of your life, don't spend the next 30 years doing something that you're going to dread doing, right? And, and this is what I'm not saying, young people, don't do nothing and live off the government and, and, and hope that they, or mom and dad, and hope that they cover you. Like, you may have to do what you don't want to do for a period of time, getting an education, gaining some experience with the idea that something greater is, is just right around the corner. So he's like, I hated going to work on Mondays. Why? Because the work that I had done was so grievous to me. I'm telling you what, and this has been experienced, once things used to be a desire for you, now they're dreadful to you. All of this is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There it is again. You ever catch the wind? No, you haven't. I hated all the things that I had toiled for. And then he gives the reason. Why did I hate them? Because I must leave them to the ones that come after me. 
Can I just tell you this? Newsflash. Every single one of you are going to die. Celebrate. Woo, we're going to die. Every one of you. And guess what? Some of you will not make it outside of this year. True story. We will do some of your funerals this year. You're healthy. You're fine. Life is good. You got no cares in the world. This year, before this year is over, some of you will have had your funeral in this church. We will celebrate your life, and we will celebrate it well. And guess what? Everything that you have attained, everything that you have worked so hard for, none of it goes with you. Now, there are valuable things, eternal things that have great significance. And what blows my mind is how we as Christians, we leverage the things that have eternal value, meaning that we trade in those things that have eternal value for things that only have earthly value that you cannot take with you. And we do it all the time. We forget about our families. Come on, so that we can work 70 hours in a week, so that we can have a truck that, that, that we think we're impressing somebody, but nobody's impressed by your truck. So that we can have a house, so that we can have, we can have you know what I mean, things that, that we feel are going to, you know what I mean, make us something, give us identity and purpose. We oftentimes exchange the things that do not matter or the things that matter for the things that do not matter. It continues in Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money, if, love, if you're a lover of money, you're never going to have enough. You're going to have a lot, but it's never going to be enough. It goes on to say whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. This is from the most brilliant man on the planet. This is from the wealthiest man on the planet. If you have a lot of wealth, it's not going to be enough. As, God, as your goods increase, so do those that consume them. Somebody rub your belly after reading that one. I, I, we go to the Philippines periodically. It's been a while. I need to get back there, but we do missions trip in the Philippines. The first time I went to the Philippines, um, and this was after I spent two years there in the, in the United States Marine Corps, but I had gone back, and I'd gone to a, a little village down on Mindanao. We were preaching to a large youth conference down there and just great things were happening but I everybody would come up and they would greet me by rubbing my belly and um, I thought man that's odd this is strange so I started rubbing everybody's belly. no I didn't rub people's belly <laughs> but this is what they did they would oh you're wealthy oh you wealthy you are so wealthy because if you had extra some of you guys are super wealthy too so don't be don't be don't be laughing we'll go to the Philippines and and uh, they'll rub on your belly and get all in your business. I love this last one. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I think of art. Some of us might have, I don't, but some of you may have like, you know, somebody told you that a piece of art was so valuable. And so you're like, man, I'm going to buy that piece of art and you don't even like it, but you just, it's just like, you can't even make sense of it. Somebody just said, oh, that's worth a lot of money. So you paid a lot of money for it. You know, this is what I'll tell you. I, uh, this was about a few years back, maybe about four years ago. I thought, you know what? I need to get me some four wheelers. Everybody in, I, you're not a real Idahoan unless you have guns and four wheelers. And so, and so I was like, man, I need to get me and my wife a couple four wheelers. And uh, we're going to be, and I'm selling myself. We're going to be able to experience God's country. It's going to be amazing. Them four wheelers are going to take us places that only a fraction of the people on the planet can ever go. Why? Because they ain't got a four wheeler. So I, I sold this to my wife, and she's like, if you think we need them, I'm like, we do. We do. We do. So I bought two four-wheelers, decent four-wheelers, paid good money for those four-wheelers. And we went out two times in the last four years to experience the beauty of God's country. 
And every single time that I see those four wheelers, I despise them. Why do I despise them? Because every year I have to insure them. Every year I have to, I have to, you know, get the, get the latest tag. You know what I mean? So that, so that if we go out, which we're not going to go out, we're not going to go out, but if we go out, I got to have it you know, licensed and, 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 and registered. So I've got these four wheelers and this is what it's saying. As goods increase, so are those that consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to look at them? That's what I do. And every time I look at them, every time you look at your stuff that you don't use, but you're not ready to get rid of and, and, and you're just mad, you know what I mean? That you're not using it because that was going to be the thing that gave you the satisfaction that you were missing in your life. Come on, I know you. I'm not, I'm not alone here. So here's Solomon also. He's surrounded by all these people, right? He's the king. Solomon's the guy that you see in some of those old paintings, you know what I mean? Or old movies where he's just kind of rocked back in his, in his easy chair and he's got a beautiful woman fanning him. And he's got another one feeding him grapes. This is the guy. This is the king of Israel. This is the wealthiest man, the wisest person. He's surrounded by servants. But yet this is what his word says. <laughs> there was a man all alone. I believe he was speaking about himself. He was surrounded, but yet he was lonely. Tell you what, somebody like this better be worried about somebody slipping him some poison or, you know what I mean? Maybe people are drawing close to them only because they want something from him. Not, not real relationship. This man is all alone. He had neither son or brother. There was no end to his work, his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Later on in chapter in later chapters, he gets involved in partying. He gets involved with wine and women and music. In 1 Kings, this is what it says in 11 and verse 3. Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. 700 wives. 700 wives. All of these ladies were, were his. These women were his. Why would you do that? I don't know. One guy was putting together a, a message, a pastor was, and, and he was just really, this just really kind of messed him up a little bit. And, and uh, he called his, his other friend that was a pastor, and he said, man, I'm just really wrestling with this, the day. I mean, was the day so different? He said, why in the world did Solomon have 700 wives? Why? And uh, he was looking for just like a super deep theological answer, and and the guy responded by saying, with the hopes that one morning, one of them would wake up in a good mood. <laughs> uh, I'm totally just joking, please. Uh, <laughs> daggers, boy, daggers. Settle down, settle down. <laughs> <It's> kinda, <laughs> guys, are, guys are afraid to look, they're just looking forward. I'm not, uh-uh, I'm not, no. So don't be so serious all the time. So let's bring it into our living room. All right. In your life, my desire and my hope is that you're going to come to a place and a point where you're, you, you end your search to find something that satisfies because you find the right thing that satisfies. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 These are the last and final words in the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to check this out. The last words that could be shared, this is what he says, do what he tells you to, and that is it. His last and final word is this, fear God, do what he tells you to do, and that is it. We think about fear as being something that, you know, our approach to fear is, is that God's mad at us, his wrath is, is, is going to be poured out on us. Some of you have been raised in churches where God... God uh, carries a big stick and he hides around corners and he's always observant. 
and he's always watching. And the moment, the moment, the very moment that you do something incorrectly, you know what I mean? He's going to whack you over the head. I grew up in a church like that from one week to the next week. I didn't know if I was saved. I was always fearful. Am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? And I'm telling you this, that you cannot read the scriptures without understanding that God's wrath was completely poured out on Jesus on that cross or cross similar, not even similar, but on the cross, the represent the fullness of God's wrath was poured out on him. We, we don't serve a God that is, that is confused, but we do serve a God that is holy. Amen. Amen. He's not confused, but he is holy. And so fear is not like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Being deathly afraid of God. The beginning of fear is, the, is, is, is wisdom, or the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so we need to honor him. We need to respect him. But that word fear really comes down to, comes down to worship. It, it comes down to revering him, honoring him, worshiping him. And so it's saying here, that whenever you get close to God and you should desire, you should look for intimate opportunities, time to get into your word by yourself in prayer and worship by yourself. And he's saying this, that whenever you get close to him, do what he tells you to do. And I'm telling you this, that I, it has to break God's heart because now I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about people that don't know Jesus, that don't have a, a covenant relationship with God in and through the cross. I'm talking about the church. And the church is filled with people that love the Lord, love the idea of being saved. But they create doctrines of men, meaning I'll take the salvation portion of it I'll take the forgiveness portion of it. But I'm just going to kind of rewrite how it is that God views this sin in my life. It's like, man, I've come a long way, but I'm not ready and I'm not willing. I'm not ready and willing to move out of my girlfriend's house and, 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 and make that decision to quit acting like we're married when we're not married. I'm telling you, there's been some beautiful things that have taken place. There's, there's been a lot of people that have come and saying, and we're doing weddings this year because, because the word of the Lord has gone out and it's changed hearts. And they're like, listen, we're going we're gonna to do things right in the Lord's eyes. And I commend you for that. Absolutely just celebrate. Can we just celebrate the Lord for those big decisions? And it's not just one. It's not just two, it's not just three. I have had multiple conversations of people that have come to me and said, listen, we're ready to, we're ready to do things right. And that's beautiful. And amen, that's, and guess what? God's grace and his mercy is sufficient. You're always gonna need his grace and his mercy, but please listen to me. Do not carve out space where your sin is okay and it's in a proper, you know what I mean? God will just understand. Do not approach, come on, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords like that. So when you get as close as you can, come on, listen to what he says. Because the Bible says eventually you're gonna stand before him and God is gonna bring about everything that we do into the open how many of you know that, that while it might be hidden right now from your neighbors, even your wife and your husband and your best friends, the things that you're caught up in, it might be hidden right now, but it is not hidden from God right now. But I'm telling you this, that those things that are hidden even right now are going to be brought out into the open and judge. God is going to judge it according to his to its hidden intent. So listen, I want to just park right here for a second. I ain't got much time, but can I just tell you this, that, that God is not so much interested in what you do. He is more interested in the intentions behind what you do. So you can do all the right things. This is religion at its finest. This is the Pharisees at, its, at their finest. You know what I mean? They're doing all the right things, but the intent of their heart was so wrong. And I'm telling you what, if you think that we, 
you know what I mean? Don't deal with that today. We do. You can do good things, but with the wrong intentions. And those intentions are the things that are going to be judged. And so he says, listen, God's going to judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. I'm going to skip that. Boom, boom, boom. So what keeps us from getting all that God has for us? You know what's frustrating as a pastor is, is certainly... W- w- we don't have the answers to everything, but sometimes when people come to us and their wheels have fallen off in life, sometimes we do have the answers. And you know what's frustrating is whenever you are visiting with somebody and you know what the answer is because you know that the Lord is good and you know what his word says is true and right, when you share it, sometimes people will deny what it is that you're dishing them, what you're feeding to them. They're like, you know what? Okay, that's, that's a good option. But what is, if I'm not there yet, like what's, what's, what's behind door number two? I'm like, there is no door number two. Like this is the answer to your issues, but yet they're not ready. You know what I mean? And that's frustrating. They won't take what you know will help them. And guess what? You're in your mind, you're thinking right now, well, he's talking about brand new saved Christians. No, he's, he's talking about, yeah, it's really tough whenever you, you come out of the world and, and then you give your heart to Jesus and try. I mean, how do you trust God that you don't really know and you can't really, he's not tangible, you can't see him, you can't put your hands on him. And, but I'm not talking about just the, the brand new Christian. I'm talking about, right now, honestly, I'm talking more about the person that has spent the entirety of their life in church. Hmm. Yeah, I was, you don't, you just don't understand, man. I was, I was raised in church. I was drugged to church. I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't go to church. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about some of you. Um, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. You know, some of the hardest people to minister to Some of the hardest people, whenever they're coming up against a wall and you know what the answer is, some of the hardest people are those that have just had, is it possible? Let me just ask you, this is a weird question. Is it possible to have too much church? Is it possible to have walked with God too long? I will say, yes, it is possible if, if you have settled in thinking that you are some sort of an expert whenever it comes to Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And the truth is, is churches are filled with people that are experts in the area of Jesus. And that is so foolish. About the time that you think that you know something is about, if you're growing, if you're continuing to grow, is about the time that the rug is pulled out from underneath you and you realize that you really don't even know what you thought that you, that you, that you knew. And so I'm telling you, it is the craziest thing. I've been on missions trips and people have been on missions trips and we don't do the mission trip quite like you used to do the mission trip. And so you can just tell there's this attitude of separation. You know, we got a church that is filled with people that come from different backgrounds and all kinds of different experience, from no experience to great experience. And because we don't do things maybe like you were raised up doing things, you're just like, man, I'm just, I'll just suffer. I'm just going to suffer. Going to suffer. You know, I'll come. But I, you know what I mean? Church really, like I've been walking with God so long. Church is it's really not even for me, but man, I got kids and I got, I got, you know, wives and family. And so I'll just suffer. I'll just, I'll just go. Not for me. I mean, I, I, you're not going to teach me anything. Matter of fact, you're like, uh, hey, everybody, I'll get up here. Hey, everybody, listen, I want you to please open your Bible to the book of John. The book of John, you know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and everybody's like, yeah, John. I bet he's going to talk about, yep, there it is, John 11, Lazarus, I knew it. Yeah, he died. Jesus wept, rose again. Big deal. Heard it. And so your approach is because you've got a religious spirit 
And it's not what you're used to. Come on, you're sitting in a place of judgment. You, my friend, are a Pharisee. You, my friend, are a Sadducee. You, my friend, are in a position in a place where you have stopped learning and stopped growing. And if you think that you're ever going to be an expert in the gospel, if you're ever going to, he says this about my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts, they are higher than your thoughts. And if you come to a place where you're just like, yeah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I would repent of your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you and soften your hard heart that you have. Because I'm telling you, the judgment is coming. And judgment first, my friend, is coming to the house of the Lord. Why in the world would judgment need to come to the house of the Lord first? Because we've got a lot of people that have quit growing. And we've come so smart and, and we've, we've been there and we've done that and we've got the education, we've got the experience. And when it's not done, just how it was done, when God moved so powerfully in your past, you're just like, man, I'm going to jump to another church. I'm going to jump and I'm going to search because it's got to be out there. How about you just stopping what you're doing and asking, Lord, where am I supposed to be planted? What house am I supposed to be planted in? Where can my gifts and my talents be utilized to advance the kingdom of God? And where can I be poured into so that I can continue to grow with the body of believers? I'm telling you, some of y'all have to repent of your sins. I've had people ask me, what, you want to change me? Yes! I want, I want you to change just like I want God to change me. I'm not talking down to you. If anything, I'm talking to you because I am in the same position. There have been times in my life where my, my, my walk with God was relationship, relation, couldn't spend enough time with him. And then all of a sudden I blinked my eyes and next thing you know, I'm just putting messages together, you know what I mean, to build a sermon and, it, and, and become religious. Yeah, I've done that. You know, yeah, prayer, I'll go to prayer, just fall asleep. And now I'm in a beautiful place again in my life, a place that satisfies, that is back in that place of relationship. And I'm saying some of you may have tried the religious route and while everything looks good and put together on the exterior, on the inside, there is a longing, a desiring for something more because you've been, you've been, you've been wearing this costume for far too long. And, and if you were going to be honest with people, what would they think about you? You're too far invested. But the truth is, is you've lost the relationship with Jesus for some of you, maybe many years, repent of your sins and come back to the Lord. Desire him, draw close to him and he will draw close to you. That's his word. That's his promise. Man, I'm getting a little excited. Got to settle down. What keeps you from desiring God? Number one, we fill up on the wrong things. Not going to spend a lot of time on this. Going to Texas Roadhouse. We might go there tonight. Sometimes I will deny myself breakfast, lunch, and snacks whenever I'm going to a place like the Texas Roadhouse. And I will say, man, I'm going to get a good meal. I'm going to get about an eight-ounce steak. And I'm going to get eight ounces of salmon. I'm going to get some of that hot buttered corn because I like it. And I don't know if it has much nutritional value, but I like it. But then, because I need to watch my carb intake, I'm not going to get just mashed potatoes or a baked potato. I'm going to get a sweet potato because that's better for you. But I'm going to have them put some of that honey butter in there and some of that cinnamon sugar in there. And it is going to be fantastic. And so that's my plan going into it. And it's a good plan. Somebody said that's a good plan. But then they throw a curveball at you. I forget about the bread that they bring. And I don't have enough willpower to stay away from the bread. And so I'll eat a basket of bread almost by myself. And I'll be asking for another basket. Just keep these things coming. You know, I don't drink alcohol. But keep the bread coming about every 10 minutes. Keep them coming. And then my meal shows up. And I am so full 
on the bread that I'll have a little bit of steak and I'll have a little bit of salmon and I'll have a little bit of corn and I'll have a little bit of, of my, my sweet potato with that beautiful honey butter and sugar and, and cinnamon in it. But I'll have a little of all things. And then I'll tell myself, well, listen, I'll just take this home and I'll have lunch for tomorrow. But I'm telling you, we don't do good with leftovers. Some of you guys probably do much better with leftovers. We have the greatest intention to eat leftovers, but it never happens. Two days, something being in the fridge. My wife is a, she, she is a, she's got the cleanest fridge. I'll just tell you that nothing remains in the refrigerator if it's past two days old. And so now we've spent all this money and we've gotten all excited about going to Texas Roadhouse and eating their bread is what it comes down to. And so, so we fill up on all of the wrong things. Remember your mom and dad, they used to tell you, don't eat that. Why? Because it's going to spoil your appetite. Sin is the same way. It tastes good for a moment, but we fill up on it. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Moses said this about it. Choose to be, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So number two is we don't fully experience the goodness of God. What are we talking about? What keeps you from desiring God? We do not fully experience the goodness of God. I tell you a trend that I'm seeing. There's a lot of people that are coming to the Lord and and getting their sins washed away and removed, and they're getting baptized. But there's a pull. How many of you know that there's a pull from the flesh, a pull of the world? And so these people I kind of keep an eye on, and if I haven't seen them over a few weeks, I start to wonder, hey, listen, where are they at? We're never going to track you down. Don't think that, but I'm, I'm, I'm observant. Man, I haven't seen so-and-so in four or five in four or five weeks. And so about the time that they're developing just a small portion of their testimony and they're on fire for God, you know what I mean? A distraction comes in and they haven't even experienced the fullness of the goodness of God. And so it's easy for them to go right back out because they feel like they've got God understood. Yeah, I, you know what? I experienced some of that forgiveness and while it was amazing and, and awesome, it wasn't enough Come on, to keep them out of what the world has to, has to offer. And so we don't fully experience the goodness of it. And I'm just going to ask you this. Have you ever been offered something to eat that in your mind, you already had your mind made up that you weren't going to like it? Can't even tell you how many times Pastor Javi and Davina had invited my wife and I to go eat sushi. And I'm like, Ugh. Get off of that train, buddy. We're not, we're not going. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, they got seaweed. That's weeds out of the ocean that they wrap this stuff in. They put a little rice around it to, to, to hide it. And then they put things like a cucumber and salmon or eel that is uncooked. And I'm like, why in the world? Oh, he, oh, Pastor Javi, well, this is what everybody that loves sushi says. This is what they, well, you just haven't gone to the right place. <laughs> That's what they say, right? Years, how many times? Years, you've, come on, let's go to sushi. I'm like, no, get off of. <laughs> so we're in Boise with my family and my son comes back from Hawaii, been living there for a little while comes back from Hawaii and he orders himself some sushi and he's like dad just eat I said I'm not gonna eat it he said I'll get some cooked stuff for you you mean they cook the fish I'm like yeah okay I'll, I'll try it fine just then I can continue to say listen I just tried it you know 2021 I tried it and didn't like it get off my back so I ate it and then I ordered a whole other plate of it <laughs> And now, so this, I love sushi so much, I, I dream about sushi. <laughs> I went to sushi on Friday, and my wife had a wedding in Boise that she needed to go to. And so I'm bacheloring it last night by myself. And I'm like, what? I don't want to cook. I don't want to cook. <sighs> I'm going to Ridley's. 
I eat grocery store sushi. <laughs> and I love it. And I was so angry that they were sold out of grocery store sushi. And so now I don't just eat the cooked stuff. I like the cooked stuff, but I also eat the raw stuff. Like I'm not to eel or anything weird like that, Pastor Javi. But like the tuna and the, let me tell you what I've learned about sushi. If you can smell it, it's no good. <laughs> That's what Pastor Javi would tell me. You just got the wrong sushi. But it's crazy how you, you know what I mean? You're denying it, denying it because you know you're not going to like it. Then all of a sudden, boom, wow, where has this been all my life? And God is the same way. Some people, not going to spend a lot of time in this, but some people have rejected the table of God, the servings of God, because it's been prepared and dished out to you in a, in a, in a, in a manner that is not good. Have you ever had food poisoning? Come on, somebody has mishandled the food. The food was good until they mishandled it. And then because they mishandled it, you got sick and now you can't even think about, you know, and there's a lot of people that come to this church and give their heart to Jesus that have had a poor experience with church or somebody misused or abused or mistreated them when they were a child, came here and really found out what the grace of God and walking with God was all about. And I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for that. But there are people that reject because it's been prepared and served wrong. I encourage you this, do it God's way all the way. Turn to your neighbor, say, do it God's way all the way. Now I'm going to step on your toes because we say this all the time. Give us a year. If we're in prayer, if we're doing 21 days of prayer, come out to 21 days of prayer. Give us a year. If the church is open, be here. Wednesday night, Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? If we're going on a mission, pray about it and go on a mission. So we've asked people, like, for one year, go all in. Try it. Test it. And I promise you, your life will be changed at the end of it. But the truth is, is sometimes we have people that have been here three, four, five, and six years that have tested the water. Even like with giving and whatnot. It's like, nah, that church, don't, they, they don't need no money. That church is paid for. They ain't got no debt. It's true. We, we have zero debt. But let me just tell you, let me just tell you, the incredible things that we're able to do because of the faithfulness of God's people, it's not just about here. We're kingdom builders all over the world. Amen? We just, we just, we just started a church in Africa. You got a chance. You sowed seed. Your money bought the, 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 the meeting place of the church in Africa. And guess what? I get, I get uh, videos every single week of words of encouragement, thanking Grace Church for, for, for building the kingdom of God in Uganda, Africa. And this happens all over the place. This is the most generous church that I've ever been a part of, for sure. So how do we increase our cravings for God? Got to close, getting close to closing. Pablo, you can come on up if you will. What is righteousness? Because the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. What is righteousness? Number one, righteousness is right standing with God. Being in right relationship with God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 says this. The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. Romans 3.25 says it like this. We're made right with God when we believe that Jesus gave his life and blood for us. You're going to get this opportunity today. If you're not right with God through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed, you can come into right relationship, right standing with God today. And let me tell you this, it's not about joining Grace Church. You give your heart to Jesus today, we will celebrate that, even if you go find another church in this community to belong to. This is not about Grace Church. This is about the kingdom of God. What we celebrate is one sinner, one sinner coming to Jesus and being saved. Amen? We'll have plenty of time in eternity to do church together, and we'll probably understand each other a little bit better there too. Maybe we'll have a little bit more grace for one another there too. And uh, anyway, I'm just going to stop there because I'm about having a lot of fun, just about had a lot of fun by sharing some things. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says this, Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ the cross 
He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful, somebody say new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now listen, I got after us a little bit the young people really a few weeks ago that, that, you know, taking that friend of God, being a friend of God too far, where we lose respect and honor and those kinds of, the, of things. I want us to be careful. Like there's a, there's a sweet spot where when we pray to the Lord, we're not praying to some distant deity that, that is just far removed from us. But when we pray and we're in walk, you know, we're in communion with him, we're in community with the Lord, we, we've got intimacy with the Lord. He says things like, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? And so, so thank God he's not some distant, ominous God that is just untouchable. He is a friend, but still honor him, you know what I mean, like the, like the king that he is. And... Um, and he is approachable and he understands you. I promise you this more than you understand yourself, but don't get lackadaisical with your honor, but still know that he's a, he is a friend. Matter of fact, he is your best friend. He should be, he should be, he should be your number one relationship. No other before him. And so we're made right with God by coming into relationship with God. I also just want to say this, that not everybody goes to heaven. In the book of Matthew, you know, the Bible says that some will say to me, Lord, Lord, we've done all these incredible things. And Jesus is going to say, get away from me, you evildoers, because I did not know who you were. Like this is a reality too. Somebody might think that just because you prayed a prayer one day, yeah, I love the idea of going to heaven. I'm going to pray a prayer. God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Save me. That whole lordship I'm not quite sure of. Like the genuine relationship is, is us laying down our life too and saying, God, I trust you with everything. And then when we have unbelief, when we don't trust, like he's not, he's not afraid of that. That's when we say, help me with my unbelief. Help me. You know what I'm saying? And so, number two, righteousness is right living. Right living. I think you've got enough there. I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that. Okay, I'm going to close with a story. There was a story. It's a popular story that you all know. Um, Jesus is in Samaria. His disciples leave him for a period of time, which didn't happen very often, but... He found himself in a conversation at a well with the Samaritan woman. And immediately Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, which number one, men didn't have open conversation with women out in public. And, and also Jews didn't really talk to Samaritans. And he broke both of these walls down in one instant. When he asked her, he said, give me something to drink. Will you draw me up some water? And she's like, what are you doing talking to me? And there's a lot of, lot of, you know, back and forth there. And Jesus comes to a place and he responds to her and he says, listen, if you knew who I was, if you knew woman who you were talking to, you would know that I have water that will cause you to never thirst again. And uh, she's like, I'm super interested in that. He said, he said, listen, before we go any further, he said, I want you to go and and get your husband, bring your husband out here. I want to talk to your husband. She's like, well, she kind of dropped her head. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. And the last five men that you've been with, they're not your husband. The men that you're with right now, or you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with right now, he's not your husband. And so this is this woman's story of Ecclesiastes. If she was going to write a book or a chapter in this, she would, it would be like this. I tried, I tried, I tried, and I tried. And I tried, and the one that I'm trying with right now, it's not working as well. He said, you're right, you don't have a husband. 
you've had five and the one you're with right now. She says, I'm super interested in this whole drinking and never thirsting again, but but I believe that that's going to be when the Messiah comes. You know, he's going to come back. He, the, 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 it's been prophesied that he's going to come back. And, and I'm really longing for him to, I'm longing for him to come. But if I was going to be honest, I really don't even know if he's going to, I don't know if he's going to come. And Jesus responds to her. And this is my call to you today. This is found in John chapter 4 and verse 26. Jesus responds to her. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Now that's out of the message. But his response to her is you don't have to wait any longer and you don't have to look any further because the one that you're talking about, the Messiah, the Savior, I am him. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm right here. You don't have to look any further because I'm right here. And I'm telling you today that Jesus didn't go into... You know, in his encounters with people, he didn't go through the A through Z of salvation. You know what he said? He said things like, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And if they didn't have spiritual ears to hear, then he would move on and he would visit with somebody else. And people were coming in droves. They were being healed and they were being saved and set free. But my call to you today is Jesus is here and you don't have to wait any longer and look any further because he is here. And if you have ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying, I would encourage you right now just to receive him. How do I receive him? I say, God, I need you. I am spiritually bankrupt without you. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, will you save me? If all this is true, you who were perfect, you first of all who created all things, all things that were created were created by you. You came in the form of a lowly man, lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, did not sin once, died on a cross so that anybody that believes in you, their sin would be washed away and they would given, be given eternal life. Boy, if that is true, and I'm telling you, it is true. And I believe this, that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you right now that it is true. And if you'd like to receive that truth today, just simply raise your hand and say, God, I need you. And it looks like this. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Don't just save me, but be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to the full and to the overflowing. Use my life. It belongs to you. And at that very moment that you pray a prayer that's similar to that, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And remember whenever I told you that you're going to die, some of you are going to die as early as this year. I hope that doesn't happen, but it will. You will have nothing to be afraid of. Man, I am telling you, recently I have stood at the threshold of transitioning over from this life to the next. And I can say with you, to you, with all boldness and with all truth and with complete love in my heart, there was not a fraction of fear in my life. And I'm telling you, that's what walking with Jesus will do for you. Because I believe, I believe so much, I know that when I breathe my last breath here, the very next moment that I come to consciousness, that I open my eyes, I'm going to be in the presence of my King and my Savior. And there is nothing more beautiful than that and some person might be like well aren't you gonna miss the people that you left behind sure but guess what i'm also doing my job right now to make sure if if it's in my power to share to love to witness to live my life in such a way that they see that my god is real and my god is true 
I want everybody that I know and love to be there with me. And I'm okay with a weekend away because that's what it's going to be like. You're going to close your eyes and next thing you know, because eternity is so vast and so great, they're going to be there in seconds. People that you have lost 25 years ago, it's going to seem like but a moment. Oh, there you are. So glad to see you in heaven with me. You're going to love this place. Amen. I encourage you, trust God with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will save you. He will deliver you. He will forgive you. He will heal you. Your life will count in Jesus' name. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.